And we're live. Hey. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Jen Power. That is my name. Jen Power from the archives of Old City CrossFit. That's right. OG. The, uh, we're pulling back some legacies for this podcast. Yeah, I was the first uh, member to pay full price. Yeah. That's my legacy. <laughs> yeah, so um, we we ran that big Founding Fathers special, and there was a lot of Founding Fathers. Yep. And so on day one, the gym was all Founding Fathers. Yep. And then... Day two. Little old Jen Power showed walks up. by. <laughs> Yeah, what happened? Tell me, tell me that story. That was actually a good story. Um, I was going to Balance CrossFit over in uh, Thomas Circle at the time, and that was the first CrossFit gym that I'd ever been a part of. And I really loved being a part of a CrossFit gym, but I did not love going to Thomas Circle every day. Yeah. And I didn't have a car, and I was just on my bike, and it was like the wad was getting home sometimes. It was terrifying. So at that time in D.C., I think there was only like seven CrossFit gyms, like in the whole district, there were not yeah. a lot of options. Yeah, there were none in Northeast when we started. Zero. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think Thomas Circle was literally the closest one to my house. Yeah. Um, because yeah, of where I lived on the district just hill. moved to north, uh, Southwest, right? Yeah, and I was on Constitution. Mm. So Thomas Circle made the most sense, but um, I was going up to 8th Street one night for dinner with my dad, and we were just walking down the street looking for a place to eat, and I look across the street, and I was like, whoa, hold up. There's people in there doing ring rows and air squats, and there's two people walking around, talking to people, doing them. It smells like CrossFit. That looks like CrossFit, yeah. <laughs> so we ran across the street, and I like pressed my face against the window. and was like, oh, my God, this is CrossFit. So the next day, I grabbed my boyfriend at the time, and we, yeah. Yeah, we ran up there and bought some shirts. And I I went home and like I think I joined like that minute like I just went on the website yeah. and just joined so I ended up paying like five hundred dollars for CrossFit that month because I couldn't get out of my balance <laughs> um, contract yeah. without like a month's notice but once I had Old City once I spent one minute there I was like I'm never going to balance again was it I mean clearly clearly the convenience is a factor oh, huge factor that was at that point it was like over sixty percent of right. the factor for sure did you pick up any other factors. It felt really welcoming right away. Like at Balance, there were some super talented athletes, and it was amazing to yeah. just be near them and watching them. But the classes felt really divided yeah. between the super talented athletes and like the me, who I right. didn't really know anything about CrossFit. So right away, what was nice about Old City was there weren't a ton of CrossFitters there. Like yeah. people were familiar with it, but they hadn't been doing it. Four years and years and years. Right. So everybody was kind of just on this baseline, and I felt really comfortable just jumping yeah. in and asking questions and just being a part of the team. Yeah, we definitely started the gym with a ton of people with you know very little CrossFit experience, like athletic experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then there was you know there was a handful of people who've been doing CrossFit for a long time, and it's right. you know I am in such admiration of their patience. Seriously, <laughs> as we you know learn how to how to run a gym. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's really interesting because, like, now that we've you know now that we've been around for a while, four years, we have some amazing athletes. Oh yeah, like, who who have only ever been at Old City, right? And it's, which is awesome. It's really incredible, and I like I joke with my sister sometimes. I you know that I, I truly believe that the the quality of your gym is defined by how the best athlete interacts with some of the worst athletes. I love that, and you know, like our best athletes. I, I, I don't know if this is true, but it seems like it's true. It seems like that they are 
genuinely more happy when they see other people succeed than when they succeed themselves. Yeah. And that, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I don't either. I, it's part of the culture. Like, yeah, but culture is something that like this is, I spend a disproportionate amount of time <laughs> thinking about culture. It's, I mean, that's basically like what I do, you know, like yeah. I'm a culture curator. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And you have this little box, literally, that you yeah. just get to make a culture out of. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, how you did it. I don't but know. It's, it's, it's really interesting to me that you connected with Old City when you walked in because as the story unfolds, you become <laughs> an enormous part of it. <laughs> right. You become a really significant part of it. And so yeah. like part of, part of what I'm curious about is, you know, what you saw in it mm-hmm. and then, you know, is, is what you saw like through, was that an, an intentional truth that was created or did like, we just get lucky? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe a little bit of both. I, um, I definitely agree. It's it's a combination of both. Yeah. Right. When I first met the owner of Balance, when we first went and did the tour, and she was this beefy, super awesome former games athlete, um, and she was showing us all around the facility, and she kind of gave me this attitude of like, yeah, we're awesome. You should stay because we're awesome, mm. but you know, we'd understand if you can't hang. And uh, and for me, that fired me up because I wanted to hang. Right. I wanted to be sure. beefy and awesome. I wanted people to look at me the same way they look at her yeah. and be like, damn. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's yeah. go. You challenge me to be here at 8 a.m. tomorrow, I will see you at 745. That's right. You know, so that worked in that moment. But when I first met you, you had, like, crazy wild hair. You guys had been, I don't even know if you've had a class yet, and maybe in the morning class. Yeah. And you were just so enthusiastic about just us being there. Yeah. And you asked, a, I saw the t-shirt and I was like, whoa, those are really cool. And you're like, yeah, we're selling them. You want to buy some? And I, I knew I had two $20 bills in my wallet and I was <laughs> like, all right, I'll give you all my money. But in my head, I was like, oh, it's a new gym. They're super cool. But just, I just felt so connected to your passion for creating this place. And you yeah. didn't, you didn't feel like you were trying to push it on us. You were like, hey, really appreciate if you buy the shirt. Helps us out. You know, doesn't matter if you join the gym or come back. We would love if you did, but we really appreciate you just coming and stopping by. Tell people we're around. And I just respected your energy about yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the things that I learned, not necessarily um, from the beginning, but since 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 we since we opened, since we started, I've been you know learning a lot about marketing and how to do that better. And one of the things that they talk about is marketing is about getting yeses and nos as quickly as possible. Right. right. Like showing you who we are and often, often who we aren't, you mm-hmm. know? So, Hey, this is, this is our gym. Uh, this is who I am. This is who we are. If you like it, we'd love to have you, but yeah. I understand if you don't like it, that's not, that's not a problem with you. That's not a problem with me. We just don't like it. You know, like some people like Coke, some people like big red, <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's just how it is. Who likes Big Red? I don't know. They're out there. I have no idea. I remember in Texas, I got a can of Big Red for free. Okay. And, I, you know, like Coke was my sports drink. Right. So you chug it after Obviously. playing sports. And so I chugged Big Red and I like spit it out. And it was <laughs> disgusting. Take. It tasted like cough syrup. 
But some people like that. Right. Personally, I don't like you if you like Big Red. <laughs> but you got to respect their right to yeah, have the liberty sure. to choose. But, you know, like some people really like yoga. Some people like cycles. Some people like other CrossFit gyms. Yeah. Other, some people like the Globo gyms. It doesn't matter. It oh. really it, it doesn't matter at all. I don't need very many people to be, quote, successful, right? I could use a few more. So if you're out there and you're interested. <laughs> Come on by. <laughs> but, like, sincerely, it, it has to be a thank you, thank you transaction. You have to come into a place and fall in love with the people in the community. Mm-hmm. And then, because that's the only reason why you're going to stay. Right. And if you don't fit in, if, if it's not your cup of tea then you should find somewhere else that is more your more your tribe more absolutely your yeah I, I tell people that all the time when people feel stuck in their routine or at a certain place and they're not sure what they should do and I think a lot of them expect me to tell them to stay with it but I'm I'm the opposite I'm like no follow your heart switch it up put this down for six months don't even think about it and then come back and see how you feel it's yeah constantly varied it's part of it yeah switch it up and i think even even within the practice of crossfit you know i'm sure you've been here especially when you start coaching you just your relationship with the sport changes a little bit so much and like it it comes in cycles it really does like when i started when i started crossfit you couldn't get me out of the gym like yep. every day, four thirty, I was there, or oh, four yeah. o'clock, or whenever the class was, I was there. If if I couldn't be there, I would make it up in the morning, and then you know, over time, it's like, well, I'm there every day, I can make it, but I'm not gonna like go to the morning right. and make it up, because right. like I'll, that's a lot. I'll, I'll catch that one later. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, I got to DC, and and it just it just changed, it just changed, and then you know, then open the gym, and then you know, you're stressed out and doing all the stuff with that, and then. Anyway, it's just like cycles. I think cycles are really important. Mm -hmm. Like Tony from the gym, Tony S, is a good example of someone who just like runs through these cycles. He just needs, sometimes he needs a few weeks where it's once per week, twice per week. And then there's months where it's eight times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not that much, but I think that's important for for your psych. Yeah, and you have to allow yourself to go on that ride and not fight that instinct that, oh, maybe I need to switch it up. Like, lean into that instinct and do something totally different. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, if you've been, like, if you're feeling burnt out in CrossFit, then, like, show up and maybe just try, say, all right, how many rounds can I do mm-hmm. with women's RX instead of trying to crush myself with men's RX every day? Totally. Or let me... uh let me just go to some yoga classes on the side yeah. or join a jujitsu gym or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever crushing some yoga. Yeah. And I think it's great. And I think that's part of the, I mean, we're all, all these boutique style gyms are more or less solving the same problem. Like we don't want people to be sedentary. No. We want you to get up. We want you to get moving. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's some gyms that do a really good job of creating what I, what I call like a movement practice, you know, yoga is definitely a movement practice. Yeah. You're aspiring to a very high level of movement quality and you're, I mean, basically you can never reach the end of the yoga road. Right. right. Which is amazing. Right. Which is fantastic. I love that. 
CrossFit very much a movement practice. You can never reach the end. If you get really good at handstand push-ups, then it's like, well, why are you using that wall as a crutch? Yeah. Right. And you know, handstand push-ups, I mean, that's, that's a, a career ending milestone for some people, you know, who Absolutely. start with just push-ups. And so it's really cool that there's a progression and the progression just isn't strength or time and service. The progression is literally like, what's your range of motion? Mm-hmm. What's your maintenance? What's your, you know, what's your technique? What's your, you know, all of these things go into, go into that. And that I think it's, it's beautiful when, when somebody really clicks and understands what CrossFit is, then they're like, oh, this isn't the, this isn't the game I was playing when I signed up. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a different game. It's a totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to always be thinking of that next step. But not be so beholden to that ultimate goal that you lose sight of the little goals on the That's way. That's a good point. Um, I've made a real big point of focusing on the little goals and just really being relentlessly optimistic and celebrating as much as possible, even when it feels like there's not much to celebrate. Just really focusing on those little things like, hey, maybe I didn't do that well, but I didn't do it at all a week ago. Right. So I'm okay with not doing it very well today because I might even do it better next week. Yeah. That's a good point. I never I never thought about it in that context, um, but I'm very much in the same boat. Like I struggled for literally years trying to motivate myself to get back in shape. And, you know, I, I was never like that out of shape. I mean, certainly I was pathetic to my own standards. <laughs> to your own standards right. being the very key words Of there. course. Yeah. You know, like, but the thing, the thing that I, that I found really that I, that's been working for me lately is not looking at a big goal, right. you know, because do I really care about handstand pushups or muscle ups? Mm. Not really. No. I, I could, I could take them or leave them. Yeah. But I mean, obviously I want them. I would like to do them. If you, if you could ask me right now, would you, would you like to have 10 muscle ups or zero muscle ups? Well, 10. Obviously 10. 10. Duh. Let's do, let's do that. But what I've been really focused on is just trying to connect with the day and be better each day. Yes. And then the results, you know, are coming out. It's like, it's like. I don't know, tipping over your couch and shaking out the change. And yeah. it's like, wow. Cool. Now I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That Why analogy. <laughs> well, it's like, so here's, here's my approach, right? So I joined this jujitsu gym and I just needed a, I needed something else where I was a total newbie where yeah. I was like, you know, I, as much as I love the gym and love the community, I, I am always the, the coach and owner and yep. I, I can't let that go when I'm in the gym. I see the dust. I see the, the the paint on the wall that needs to be whatever. I, I just see all the flaws, mm-hmm. and I can't be selfish in that moment because I'm there to you know serving, and I want to make the gym great. I go to this gym, I'm a white belt. I'm a total newbie. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's so cool. And then like there's just carefree. I can be 100% selfish. Yeah. And you get caught up in all this like, oh, I can't wait for this belt or, you know, like I want to work towards this or, you know, what are the six moves I need to know before I can, you know, level up or, you know, however, like you start to think about it. And then I got caught up in that race for like a week. And then I was just like, you know what? All I'm going to do is show up every single day, like literally show up. I'm just Mm going to be there and I'm going to take whatever, whatever comes Mm -hmm. and I'm going to like 
I'm never going to say no. If somebody wants to roll, I'm going to roll with them. And if they're 800 pounds and if they're a black belt, like I'm going to get choked out eight times. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just there. Yeah. And holy crap, that works. That's, that's, that's the attitude you got to have. Yeah. For everything. Yeah. I think that's really inspiring. And, and I think, I think oftentimes you, you don't put yourself in that position if you're overwhelmed by the goals you set for yourself. Absolutely. Goals are, it's tough, man, because sometimes you need a goal to motivate you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the goal gets in your way. Yeah, absolutely. I found it's very difficult for me to, well, in the last year and a half, it's been very difficult for me to get to, I'll say the gym, but just to work out. Like, just to be an active, fit person consistently. I I can't seem to do it unless I have, like, a thing on the calendar that people are counting on. Like, if I'm doing a competition or if i got to help somebody do something on a certain day, then I can motivate myself and drag me out. But if I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it, I, I can't seem to motivate myself anymore. Which is way different than it used to be. It used to be I did it because I couldn't not. I couldn't imagine my day without it. I couldn't imagine my week without it. You know, I was working out like five to eight times a week for like right. 10 months. Yeah. Like it was a while and I was super fit and it was great. And then I just stopped wanting it. But it's a little different too. I think with my uh, meditation practice that I started over the summer, Yeah. That, that drive to go and expend a lot of energy and feel a lot of things is a little less as well. Yeah. And I, I believe that I was using fitness as a bit of a crutch to avoid my emotional turmoil because I didn't have to think about my feelings and my problems when I was trying to wrestle with this barbell or get this certain move. Interesting. So once that emotional turmoil kind of settled, the need to do something physical wasn't as strong. You didn't need you didn't need the outlet as much. No. And so I couldn't justify it. Also, I was very cold for the last year and a half, and that made me very grumpy. Cold? Very cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, yeah. I was in Rochester, New York, and it was freezing. Yeah. So, but that's that's interesting. Um, is that a rationalization? Maybe. Well, I noticed it because uh, really, really tough workouts stopped affecting me so dramatically. Like, I used to cry a lot after hard fitness and I used to push myself way harder inside of a workout to elicit that response like I would I would see how much time was left in the clock and I'd be like okay I can definitely make myself cry if I this that and the other and I would throttle down and do it and now I get to a point where I'm like I don't really feel like crying today you know or I don't really feel the need to do this in this way right oh maybe not go for that extra round that's interesting. So what what would make you cry? What would make you cry? <laughs> no, but I mean no, I, that's it's a, it's a it's a simple question but like I never I never thought about it in the in the way that you just described it as, you know, it, I can push myself to this physical thing that's going to create an emotional response. Yes. Break that down for me. Cool. I believe that my emotions were so strong from like a million different life factors yet that I was spending physical energy of my own holding my emotions in. Yeah. Like people would say, hey, how you doing? And I'd be like, it's Tuesday. I don't know how to answer that question. Ah." Because it was just, everything was just always right 
right up here, ready. So to it explode. took all. It took it took the the physical energy you had just to just to basically hold yourself together. Be a person. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was in the gym and I was going B to the W and just couldn't let up off the throttle, I got to a point where I became so physically expended that all those emotions came to the surface and forced yeah. themselves to be seen. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. And. I mean, that's a form of therapy, right? Yeah. Well, actually, my therapist and I um, discussed this because I, I thought I was, like, doing a good thing, right? Like, sometimes I'd be in a really terrible, awful mood, and I'd go to the gym, and I'd just sit on a rower, and I would just pull on it and, until I cried. <laughs> sometimes it took a minute. Sometimes it took 12 minutes. Like, whatever. But I would just focus on that number, that meter ticking, yeah. and I would just pull until I felt that release, and I would fall off the row and cry. Or I would do double unders or wall balls or something simple and monotonous yeah. that I couldn't really hurt myself right. doing. And I was talking to my therapist about this, and he said, well, do you think that might be a form of self-harm? Mm. And I was like, no, it's fitness. It's good for you. And he's like, yeah, but you're doing something with the intention of feeling pain. And I was like, yeah, but it's good pain, though. Like, it's like exercise pain. Interesting. And I was like, but the intention of it isn't healthy. So it could be a dangerous thing. So once he framed yeah, it for me like that, I found it way you can take that you can take that to extremes for sure. Yeah, if, right. if your motivation isn't fitness, if your motivation is to trigger that emotional response, right. well, just like any addiction, you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper to get that. Right. So that's sage counsel, Jen. Yo. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I would have never, I would have been like, you get it, girl. You get that fitness. Yeah. And that's how <laughs> I kind of thought of it. It was like, well, this is the safest way for me to be able to elicit this response. But it turns out the safest way is actually dealing with therapy it. and med- uh, meditation. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually the safest way. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to confront it, you know. Oh, yeah face-to-face Oh yeah. versus, you know, just the roundabout way. Yeah, because when you do 50 wall balls as fast as possible, you know what that's going to feel like, and you can embrace that suck. But when you start thinking about deep-seated issues from your childhood, you don't know what that's going to feel like. Yeah, and you and don't know what's going to bubble up when you, when yeah. you pull the... Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And that, that man, I would have never, I would have never connected that dot. That's why professionals, like, <laughs> seriously, I'm in awe. I know. With, I, I shouldn't be as surprised because you know. Yeah, when you think about it for a second, it, it falls into place. They're professionals, right. but right. to have that that kind of insight, I think, is really it's really powerful. What really struck me about that moment was the deep, deep concern on his face. Yeah. Like when I was talking, because I thought I was bringing a good news. Yeah, like, like yeah. look at this way I found to deal with this. Pat me on the back. Yay! High five. Actually, no. this is very wrong and bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. But that's that's a good point because, like, the the motivation of something is almost not always, but almost more important than the action. Yeah. Right. Like, if whatever you know, there's there's. Like at, at Whole Foods, if you don't bring cash to the Whole Foods bar, you can't tip. And it's, you know, so if I show up intentionally, if there was cash sitting on my counter and I show up and I'm like, oh, I, I don't have it. cash. Oh, I don't have it. That's bad. That's bad. That's, that's being me. Because you know. Right. And I think to some level, they know. But if it's like, oh, shoot, ah, mm-hmm. I don't have cash. 
Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's, like, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. It's different motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I think that's why... So Katie and I worked on this goal-setting guide Yeah. for Old City, and I think it's really good. Like, it's... I mean, it's mostly Katie, let's be honest. Well, but, like, I, I added my name on it because I edited some pages. Because I'll the gym and, you know, I'll hire I think, her. I think I wrote an introduction <laughs> once. Um, but it's like, it's Katie, and then in, like, lowercase letters and Sean. And parentheses. Sean. But... It's really, it's really interesting. And one thing that, that Katie taught me is that in order to connect with your goals, you have to, like, you have to connect with yourself. And I never really thought about that. It's like, oh, I want, I want a handstand push-ups. Just pick something. But then you meet somebody who's like, well, I don't know what I want. Yeah. How do you mean you don't know what you want? Right. And that didn't make any sense to me for a lot of my life until I didn't know what I wanted either. Mm-hmm. It's like I was trying to write goals for myself, and I would write a goal like, yeah, I want to squat 400 pounds. Who doesn't? And then I would do nothing. I would, <laughs> like, literally. I would, I would never squat. Yeah, I would never squat. Yeah. And then I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get anywhere close to my goal, but I wouldn't care that I didn't get anywhere close to my goal. Right. So, whatever. Yeah. And the missing piece was that I didn't connect to the motivation behind it. Mm-hmm. So, why do I want a 400-pound squat? Mm-hmm. Well, I never thought about that, so I never really cared about it, you know? Yeah. When you connect to your why, now you're, now you have, I think, a, a, clearly a deeper purpose. Yeah, and I think that's why I had such a, a hard time being so consistent in this last year is because I didn't have a strong why. Yeah. Because I look fine, so I wasn't aesthetically motivated. I still had a great deal of fitness. Like, I right. could still do all the cool stuff that I could do before. Yeah. Maybe I didn't recover as efficiently, but, like, I could still squat the same numbers. I could still do pull-ups. I could still do all the cool tricks. And things, like, weren't going badly physically for me. Yeah. So I just didn't feel like I needed to maintain yeah. because I wasn't seeing any problems. I was almost identical, right? Like, one of... If you own a gym, you shouldn't be fat, right? Good point. Yeah. But... You also don't have to be the most jacked, beautiful specimen on the planet. Like, it might help, but you don't have to be. Right. And, and so I, I, I danced that line of, like, of not fat mm-hmm. or, like, fat jacked is what I like to call it. There you go. Like, is he a, is he a power lifter fat? Yeah. <laughs> or is that beer fat? Is that a power belly or a beer belly? What's, Where are we at? What's And, yeah, and as long as you as long as you you know, aren't disappointed yeah. woefully with yeah. what you look like in the mirror, then there's, there's some, there's some part of, you know, like, Oh, well I don't have to get to the gym. Yeah. And then like, that's a big why for people, you know, just like the confidence that comes with, you know, with what the mirror says. Oh, for sure. Says. I actually went the other way. So when I stopped, um, working out all the time and also drinking a lot of beer, we'll say that I did not drink very much in Rochester compared yeah. to my life here, but I, shoop, I slimmed up real quick and I was not comfortable with it. Mm. I went, I got really, really thin. And then last spring, technically spring, but it felt like the winter I did a musical and I was doing like five, six hour long dance rehearsals, going all day without eating just because of the nature of the day and yeah. dancing, 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 just constantly moving. And I slimmed down even more. And, you know, the costume designers are measuring me for the costumes and they're 
commenting on my body and I'm, I don't want to be ungrateful, but I hated it. I didn't like the way it looked. I didn't like the way it felt. I felt more comfortable when I was thicker and when I was stronger, but I wasn't doing anything to maintain that. I wasn't eating the calories. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing the training. And so I watched my body change and I, I couldn't even let myself get mad about it because I knew I wasn't doing anything. So how could I be disappointed in this when right. I let it happen. Yeah. So then that was a whole issue as well. But eventually I just came to peace with it. I was like, well, this is, this is where my body wants to be, I guess. And I did have a really hard, hard time gaining the weight that I did have. So I believe that my body is more comfortable at a lighter, thinner, leaner spot, which I should not be complaining about. Like what woman wants to sit here and be like, oh, my body just wants to be lean. How well, gross. I think, I think what people want is control. Yeah. And I think what people want to be able to do is, you know, I want to lose weight. I lose weight. I want to gain weight. I gain weight. Right. I want to feel happy. I feel happy. Right? Like the same way that we teach in the gym that we teach people to have control over their bodies in that, oh, your shoulder hurts? Good. Let me teach you how to fix that. Yeah. Here's a lacrosse ball. Here's a voodoo floss. Here's a foam roller. Here's some stretches. Do these. Mm-hmm. And now I've taught you how to fix this problem, right? And now, oh, your knee hurts. Remember when we fixed the shoulder? Same thing. <laughs> Let's do that on on the leg. Yeah. And I think that's a that's an important thing too. And I think that it's just like you need as like as humans, we I, I think I get personally I get the most frustrated when I try, 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 and nothing changes. Yeah. But if I can if I can try and get results, well, that's great, mm-hmm. right? But effort with no change, that's, you know, that's that's the challenge. And I think, you know, that's why, I mean, that's why coaches are so important for anything. You know, your therapist, I mean, how many times did you try, 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 try to change your life? Oh, yeah. And made no traction. None. And then you get someone whose job it is to, <laughs> to help affect with that. the change. Yeah. And change happens. So dramatically. Absolutely. Outside, I mean, with the gym, so many people struggle with getting in shape, weight, this, that. And then, like, they struggle year after year after year after year. And then they come to the gym and they're like, ah, it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe it is. Like, yeah. maybe it is. I don't, I don't know your life, but maybe it's not. Maybe maybe if you look at it in the context of investing in yourself, right. and if you look at it in the context of, you know, your like this is the thing a lot of people don't don't get about CrossFit gyms, good CrossFit gyms, you know. And I think I think any gym that's in DC is a good CrossFit gym. So I'll, this isn't even just like an old city thing. This is like <laughs> like CrossFit DC district. Uh, Ivy City, like all of these gyms are phenomenal gyms and you're going to get the same, you're, you're going to get the same, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to teach you from their years, if not decades of experience, the fastest way to get the results that you want. I don't think it's possible to get results faster through any other way than hiring a, a wise coach, a smart coach. Agreed. And... Once you have the coach, or if you have five coaches to choose from that are all good coaches, you need to find the coach that you connect with the best. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it's consistency. It's, you know, once you have a base level of knowledge, it's what, what program are you going to follow the most? Right. And you're going you're gonna to see results. And I think that's the thing 
with anybody struggling to accomplish something, it's figure out, you know, who your coach is. And that doesn't mean, you know, it has to be like an in-person thing, you know, like, are you trying to lose weight? All right, cool. Pick a, pick a plan, pick something, you know, like do the whole 30 and now you're whoever, this is bad. I don't know her name. Do you know the whole 30 person's name? Mm -mm. Melissa Hartwig. Good for you. Yeah, there we go. So she's your coach. Yeah. Right? Read her books. Yeah. She's your coach. Nailed Get it. fired up about it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's Whole30 coaches out there too. If, if zone is is your jam, if you want to do the zone, then Barry Sears is your coach. And like become, like do it, do it. And then put it in place and then do it and then mm -hmm. see if it makes a change. And I think when you when you really follow the, the scientific method, no results is a result if you view it like that, right? I agree. If a study doesn't prove A, well, it proves not A, and that's valuable information. Mm -hmm. So if you give Whole30, like if you give it everything you got and you do it legit and you don't get the change that you wanted, well, now you know maybe Whole30 doesn't work for you. Great. Move on. It probably will. But maybe <laughs> you probably did it wrong. <laughs> Try again. Uh, but, you know, that's I, I think that's the... I think that's a really important point. Oh, no, I completely agree. Looking at it that way, um, when you said earlier, you know, I get frustrated when I try and I don't see results. I was trying to think of a time where I tried and didn't see any result, but I think I just have the mindset of like, okay, well, if I didn't see any result, then I tried something wrong, and now I have to try something different. Yeah. And just going and being able to be positive and optimistic about it and not being let down by the, say, lack of results, but say, okay, great. Now I know that this whole chunk is not for me. Good. Let's take it off the shelf yeah. and we'll go to the next book. Yeah. Well, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of personal accountability to look at, to look at a training cycle or to look at something that you really put a lot of effort in and said, well, I, I guess I didn't do that well enough because mm -hmm. I think that needs to be the first, the first look needs to be introspectively. Like there were, there would be many swim seasons where I didn't make the results that I wanted and it worse did very badly. Mm -hmm. And then I would look at those, I would look at the end of those seasons and it was just looking at my own inadequacies. I, well, I gave up halfway through the season. I stopped training hard. I, yeah, sure. I was at every practice, but I wasn't committed to every practice. Right. And it was the mental breakdown in October mm -hmm. that led to the miserable performance in April. Ugh. But I could have blamed, I could have blamed other people. I could have been like, "Well, my coach didn't write creative enough workouts. Yeah, he wanted me to do ten two hundreds fast every single day, <laughs> and that's stupid. <laughs> Maybe it is stupid. Doesn't doesn't excuse me for not doing it. The exactly. people who did it swam fast. Right. The person who didn't swam slow. So there you go. But that's a, that's a hard thing to say. Oh, super hard. Yeah. It's a better thing to realize in in October. Yeah, that you're not focused and need to get it together. How do you do that? It's about self-awareness and, and humility and patience. Like you have to be able to admit that you're wrong and forgive yourself for it. Forgive yourself. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> forgiveness. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness and patience are really big pillars of my existence at this point in my forgiveness life. Forgiveness and patience. Yeah. So you would not forgive yourself? No, like it when I think about like two qualities that are just is gen power. Like, 
forgiving and patient. Right. Those are things that I work on actively every day. Right. But you work on them because you were experiencing a life that wasn't quite as good when you weren't working on exactly. it. Exactly. So you were not forgiving yourself or you weren't forgiving other people? Yes. All of the above. Oh, totally. I didn't really understand the concept of forgiveness. How, Truly. How did you... How did you understand the concept before and how do you understand it now? Well, forgiveness used to be, uh, we'll just stop talking about this then, you know, so say you and I have a fight and I think you're wrong and you think I'm wrong, but we don't want to be mad at each other. So we'll just drop it. Yeah. I may have been hurt by the things you said, but I'm committed to dropping it. So I feel that anguish still. I haven't truly forgiven you for what's happened. Right. But we're not doing this anymore. So I'm still going to have this like little wall up between us that's going to affect our relationship. Right. And over time, over time, hopefully that wall deteriorates. Hopefully, but I think you have to consciously make an effort to take it down. Probably. It doesn't just go away. It depends on the, it depends on the level of the conflict. Absolutely. Like if, if uh, you know, I don't know, if you burn my toast... Making me a sandwich. It's pretty serious. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be making me a sandwich. <laughs> it's unforgivable. With yeah, so I think it's... Okay, so that that's forgiveness. Now, what, what's your understanding of forgiveness now? Uh, to truly forgive someone is... Well, currently now is to give it to God. To not carry those feelings and emotions with me in my heart, to not see them and feel them when I look at that person, but to trust that it's not my place to judge them. That's the Lord's job and that they are going to... So you're talking about like absolute forgiveness in in like the, the truest sense of the word where you're saying like, you wronged me. Mm-hmm. You don't need to apologize to me. You don't like, I literally look at you and I love you mm-hmm. and I have sympathy for you. Yeah. And I want to help you get better. Right. And the fact that you wronged me is irrelevant in my love for you. Yes. That's just part of it. That's tough, man. Oh, impossible. <laughs> and that's why, that's why I say I work on this every day. Right. You know, and, yeah. and like every time I feel those emotions where I, I want to bottle them up or I want to get angry or I feel like I want to yell in someone's face, you know, I just kind of got to go through the checklist. Like, is this a hill worth dying on? Is this going to be a problem in a week or a month or a year? Did they really mean it? You know, just going through all the, right. all the parameters of the situation. Does it start with, does it start with forgiving yourself? Do you need to do that first? Because you mentioned, you mentioned self and others. Yes. So I had not, I still struggle with forgiving myself. I'm a lot better at talking about it now and I don't feel as much active guilt for things that I've done as I did before, but I've, I've like done some pretty unsavory things in my existence on this earth. Who has? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I had a really hard time believing that I was good and worthy of anything good because of the things I've done. Yeah. I'd imagine because we all we all go through experiences where we don't feel good and we don't feel good enough, mm-hmm. and that is bad. No, it's <laughs> not good. Yeah. So learning how to forgive myself for the things that I have done and will do allows me to be freer in accepting things that come. What's to your me. process of forgiving yourself? Like, what does that what does that look like? Is it literally just all right, Jen, you, you know, here's where you messed up. 
here's what we're going to change. We're not going to make this mistake again. And it's yeah. just the process of being more improved and more evolved as a human. Or is it like, is it just the way that you look at yourself? Is there like a pep talk thing, a Sean formation that you drop from time <laughs> to time? It depends. Um, yeah. One of, one of my Sean formations is every day is a new opportunity to make a better decision. Yeah. Every day you have a choice to yeah. make better choices. Yeah. And if I find myself locked in a cycle of days and days on end of making bad choices, I, I commit at nighttime, okay, tomorrow's going to be better. And then first thing I wake up, today's going to be a better day. Some days it's not. Yeah. But just knowing that I have the chance tomorrow, or even not even tomorrow, sometimes I don't have to wait that long. Like, hey, start over at noon. We're going to reset the day, get a new attitude, and, and go forward and with a different mindset. It's yeah. just forcing myself to be aware that I'm not stuck. I'm not beholden to anything. No one makes my decisions for me. I'm the master of my destiny. And if I want to make tomorrow better, I can. Yeah. It I just have to do you. it. Yeah. That's, man, yeah. Julianne and I started, um, you, were, you were talking about forgiveness as being like a biblical thing earlier. Um, Julianne and I started studying the book of Romans. Ooh. And uh, we have this book. And, like, we, we don't know how to study the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so nope. We, we got this book. And anyway, it was just like we would read the book together, kind of like out loud, whatever. When I got tired of reading, she'd read it. And then, then we'd talk. And we got through the first sentence. <laughs> And both of our minds were absolutely blown. And it was something to the effect of Paul is a bondservant of Christ. All right. Not shocking. But then it goes into the commentary of that sentence. And the commentary was basically you're, you know, if you're a Christian, you're either a servant of God, of Jesus, or you're a servant of sin, Satan. Like you're either working towards good or you're working towards bad. Like you're, you're a servant of somebody. So who, like, who do you want to be your, your dictator? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and that, that changed my, that changed my entire outlook. And I think it's, I bring it up partially because we were, you know, sort of talking about religion, but also I think it's such a, such a very true secular idea. If you're not religious at all, I think it's very, very true. Yeah. Good and evil. Right. Like good and bad. Either I'm working to make my life better or I'm working or I'm actively to make my life worse. Yeah. And a lot of people see the the freedom, like the self-sacrifice, not as or they, they see the opposite. They see the the immediate the immediacy the indulgence, they see the 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 now as freedom, as liberation from the discipline. Mm-hmm. And they don't mm-hmm. see it as enslavement towards downward spiral. Yes. They don't see it as the enslavement of, of negativity, mm-hmm. of self-destruction. Absolutely. And so, you know, I don't want to distill this all down to a piece of cake, but, but. <laughs> that piece of cake, now you have a decision, right? Are you going to take a step towards health or are you going to take a step towards unhealth? Mm-hmm. And one piece of cake, sure, not that big a deal, Right. But if that piece of cake happens every single day, two times a day, three times a day, well, yeah. that's a lot of steps down. It becomes a whole cake right. eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think it's really, it's really important to realize that you're, you're serving somebody. You're serving, well, that, that's not the right way to look at it. I don't think it's important to realize to become a Christian. This isn't about proselytization. <laughs> uh, you can even be serving yourself. You exactly. Know, in that kind of mindset. Right. Like you're like, 
when you, no matter what you're doing, you're, you're moving yourself up or you're moving yourself down. Totally. And we need to make conscious decisions about those movements. Mm-hmm. And what the, the, the problem is when we make decisions subconsciously or unconsciously that move ourselves down. Yeah. Right. So if I think a dozen donuts every morning is healthy because no one taught me it's unhealthy, I'm moving myself down unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, th- I, that, that, I think that's the, I think that's the really important part of the conversation. And like, when we talk about forgiveness, I think it's starting with yourself and understanding that when you have a piece of cake, that's okay. Yeah. One piece of cake doesn't mean you have to finish all of the cake. And one piece of cake doesn't mean you're a bad person. No. And it doesn't even mean you did something wrong. Absolutely. Right? And that's sort of where the the religious analogy starts to break down, where, you know, the religious analogy is you sinned, you serve the devil with that cake or whatever, you know, Mm. like through your sin or whatever. But forgiveness is saying it's all right for me to have a piece of cake from time to time because I have a lot of salads. Yeah. You know, and... The cake is the balance to my life that I need Absolutely. to maintain sanity mm-hmm. because it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable to expect somebody to never eat a piece of cake ever again. Like if I wouldn't ask them to. Hey, Sean, uh, how do I lose weight? All right, here's the deal. <laughs> you can never, ever have anything with sugar in it, added or not, ever again. Guaranteed to lose weight. Yeah, guaranteed to lose weight. I might as well tell you to cut off your leg to lose weight, right? Like, that's ridiculous. What's not ridiculous is to say something to the effect of, why don't we not eat sugar for 30 days so we get rid of the addiction? Okay, not for that. Great. Let's cut out sugar Monday through Friday, every day. Mm -hmm. And then weekends, you're allowed five sugary treats, you know, something like that. And then we work to bring that down to two. And then maybe now I can introduce a sugar treat, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, anyway, there's ways to, ways to improve. Yeah. But if you look at every single sugar treat as failure, yeah. then you're only going to, you know, decay into, you know, yeah, you can't, total collapse. you can't dwell on those decisions. I mean, it, it, cause that's all it is. It's just a decision that you made and now it's over and now it's in the past and you just have to commit to making a better decision next time. Right. And that's the attitude that I have found to be very successful. And now the patience piece going with that is, you know, sometimes when you commit to forgive yourself, you don't immediately feel better. Like, sure. oh, I did this bad thing, but it wasn't that bad and I'm going to forgive myself, but I still will have some guilt and some feeling about that decision for a time, but having the patience to know that that guilt feeling is going to subside. I'm going to have an opportunity to make better decisions that I will feel better about. And knowing that this is all going to just eventually move on and be okay. And not feeling so anxious about why isn't it happening? Why don't I have this? Just patience, patience, wait for it. Yeah. I mean, the patience thing is really important. I mean, learning to forgive yourself is definitely a process. Learning to forgive others is definitely a process and it's not something that happens immediately. Oh yeah. And I'm not like awesome at it. I'm no. just working on it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just something I'm committed to. Yeah. I, I feel like say I'm good at it. I feel it, like though. the beginning of every one of these podcasts needs to be uh, a, a disclaimer. <laughs> Sean doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> we are not actually experts at anything. It, I, I kind of joke in the gym. I mean, obviously, like you've heard me, like talk to Doctor Sean. Right. You know, like I know everything, but it's like I truly, I truly think that, like, 
the reason the reason why I think this podcast is good, the reason why I hope people find value in it, is because there's a deeply flawed human in me mm-hmm. trying to explore ways to make myself better through the experience of other deeply flawed humans. Hello. You. <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I think I think everyone who listens is like, wow, like maybe what you're good at is what I'm bad at. Mm-hmm. What I'm good at is what you're bad at. Totally. What you're bad at is what I'm, you know, and then yeah. we can, we can learn off each other. Human and I think action. that's the most important aspect of a community, right? Totally. Like, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm the coach because I know a lot about CrossFit, but in the community of old city, like that's where my expertise kind of ends, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, right. like, sure. Yeah. I know CrossFit, Maybe I know more about nutrition or stress management, like the the areas of health, maybe. When it comes to life, man, teach me. Teach me. (laughs) Teach me how to Dougie. (laughs) Right? Like I that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. Totally. You know? And it's exactly. And I think it's it's that pursuit. Um, I was talking to Jason and I I shouldn't bring this up because I'm wholly unequipped to to talk about this, but he, he was a philosophy major and he's... What an onion that man is. Uh, he's, a, he's wise, wise, well beyond his ears. <laughs> but he was talking to me about, oh, I shouldn't put this on record. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, put this caveat down by saying this may not even be what Jason was telling me. Great. But this is what I heard. <laughs> saying that, all right, he was talking about Aristotelian philosophy. Wow, okay. Like Greek philosophy, ancient Greek philosophy, and the idea that, like, of what what your purpose is in life. You know, as well, a, you are best, you are at your happiest when you're fulfilling your purpose, okay? A hammer's purpose is to hit a nail. A hammer is happiest hitting the nail. A hammer is unhappy when it's not hitting the nail. What's the purpose of a human? I believe what Jason told me was to reason. And so a human's in happiest when they're reasoning, when they're thinking. I feel like thinking. a philosophy, ma- philosophy major would say that. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, so I think it's following that logic, it's important for everybody, regardless of how much they know, to constantly reason with what they do know yeah. and explore new things to affect their reason. Mm-hmm. And so, okay... Going back to Christianity, I think the most important thing about being a Christian is exploring constantly why yes. you are a Christian. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me now that I've now that I've evolved in my faith, you know, by a few years, let me go back to the original premise and do I believe there's a God? And let me really analyze that deeply. Okay. Still believe there's a God. What are the new okay. implications of that? Yeah. But it's only through the constant challenge and the constant reasoning of your beliefs that you evolve. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people just get stuck. So stuck. Yeah. Well, you can't have your beliefs challenged if there's no differing beliefs around you to challenge you. So if you're a person who is uncomfortable being uncomfortable You're not going to seek out situations where you're going to be challenged because that's uncomfortable. Right. So you're going to surround yourself with people that confirm your bias and make you feel comfortable and keep normalizing the behaviors that you have, right or wrong, and you're going to maintain that bubble because you're not strong enough, willing enough, patient enough, forgiving enough to be uncomfortable. And that's why I think 
CrossFit hey, is a fantastic thing to do. Oh, for sure. Because it, like, if I don't want to say so many people, a lot of us grew up playing sports. A lot of us grew up, you know, with the challenges of sports um, and challenges in school and the uncomfort uncomfortability or uncomfortableness of you know of that life growing up. Like it's uncomfortable being a kid, you know, yeah. you get, you get picked on and you're awkward, your body's you're, weird, whatever you get rejected, mm-hmm. you get, wow, that worked. That's hey. cool. Like this is awesome. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And so you're pretty comfortable being uncomfortable, but at some point you become an adult and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're that, whatever, if you were the dork in high school, now you're the confident, badass wildly interesting hipster nerd who's like deeply nuanced and and fascinating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you're the jock, then, you know, you open a CrossFit gym and and a lot of people like you and you're still pretty cool because you've always been super cool. I I wasn't cool. I was a dork. I was not cool either. (laughs) I was negative cool. Well, I didn't do sports. Um, My athletic background was dance and that it was athletic in the sense that like I was moving my body and I had to do certain things, but it was never challenging, um, probably because I didn't do hard enough dance, uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed performing. I enjoyed being on stage. I enjoyed the relief from being myself yeah. that it provided. So I didn't really get to live in that like pain cave that CrossFit yeah. takes you to. And I was not okay with being sweaty or with being sore. I remember getting into a very heated argument with the guy that I was dating who brought me into CrossFit about squatting and how I didn't want to. Because it hurts. Because I didn't like when my legs were sore. Because it decreased my quality of life. I didn't want right. to be, I didn't want my quads to be sore. I didn't want to be uncomfortable going upstairs. I just didn't like moving around when I was sore. Right. Arms, core, whatever, I, that didn't bother me as much. But just, just legs. But it's bummed me out. And since I had been a dancer and I was pretty active, my legs weren't weak. Right. They weren't unshapely. They, they looked fine. They felt fine. Yeah. I felt like it was good. And we were like screaming at each other about the importance of squatting. And now it's so ironic because, like, I'm the squat queen. Like, that's my jam. Like, you won't find somebody who squats better or more intensely than me. And so I've come so far. Hear that, Jason? Oh, we're, it's on. (laughs) It's on. Start the clock. Um, But it's just that progression of going from the polar opposites through learning to appreciate that strength and learning to appreciate that struggle and going from this is something that I hate and literally refuse to do to this is something that I could only do and be fine with. Yeah. 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 But you have to go through that. You have to go through that learning curve. Yeah. It was like a three year process. Right. It was a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? If you're uncomfortable squatting, that means you should probably squat more. Right. You know, like, but I was living in that that closed-minded mentality of not I didn't want to be challenged. I didn't right. want to feel that and I didn't right. appreciate people pushing it on me right. and I became very defensive. Well, and that it might also be because you were spending all of your energy holding yourself together. Absolutely. That you didn't have another ounce of energy for accepting and internalization and like that would make the house of cards crumble. Yeah. Like I thought of it as like my life is hard enough just as it is. Right. Why should I go out of my way to make it worse? I don't need another challenge. No. Right. I'm good. And that's, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
because you know I think the people yeah I mean the in this jiu-jitsu gym that I joined it's a bunch of really great humans that I'm interacting with they're just down to earth good people I enjoy all of them okay. they're they're fantastic and I think part of that is well I was going to say before this conversation it's because you know, everyone's humble because they're constantly getting choked out all the time by everybody else. <laughs> that helps. And it's like, well, you can kill me and I can kill you and <laughs> he can kill both of us. <laughs> so why don't we just play it cool? <laughs> but what I'm starting to think maybe is more accurate is the fact that they're getting choked out all the time is because they've gotten their lives in relative order. And that has put them that has put them in a in a place where they're able to have the egoless, humble approach to training where if somebody was carrying a huge chip on their shoulder, yeah, they're not going to be okay with getting choked out all the time, but it's not because they're getting choked out all the time. It's because they haven't resolved an issue that's, that's lingering. Exactly. Yeah. There was a conversation I had with, um, one of my athletes at my last gym. She was really frustrated. She like missed a PR and she was like, oh, why did that happen? And I was like, probably relationship issues with your mother. And she's like, okay, like, but really, though, like, what was wrong with my movement? And I was like, that's what I'm saying. Nothing was wrong with your movement. I, as your coach, I can't tell you why you missed that lift. The only thing I can think about is that you have deep-seated issues from your childhood that are creeping into your mind while you're doing these other things, and you're not focused on what you're doing. You're trying to squash the emotions from your past. And she did not appreciate that. But... Uh, a couple months later, we were having a more honest and open conversation after I've kind of beaten this into her a little bit more. And she's joking with me about it and actually acknowledging that, you know, maybe there could be some emotional issues that I'm squashing with this fitness. And, you know, maybe I am kind of hiding from myself by doing yeah. all this. And I was like, great. And you don't have to do anything about that but admit it today. Like, and that's yeah. fine. But, like, you have to know that you're doing this. Yeah. Because it cannot change until you acknowledge it. I think that's... It's, it's a gray area as a coach. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, yeah, because we're not clinical psychologists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, what do I need? Therapy. Like, yeah. And <laughs> go find somebody. That's not me. I can just tell you that you need to. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, what I like to do, your movement looks great. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> so what, so what's, what's going on? Yeah. So what's wrong with your life? Yeah. <laughs> Did you sleep? Did you eat? Are you tired? Are you pissed? Right. Yeah. And I, like as, as the coach, as the trainer, I like to like my, my, my box, so to speak, like people, cause you need, you need buy-in from an athlete in order to be able to coach them. Sure. So the immediate buy-in is like, I have authority to talk to you about like immediately, like day one, how you move yeah. and your range of motion. Cool. That's day one. We'll talk about nutrition, but it like I need another buy-in for nutrition because I'm not just going to jump into your life and be like, you know, fuck's your problem. Why are you eating that sugar? You know, you got to bring me into that life, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Hey, let's talk about nutrition. Great. Here's what I know about nutrition. What do you think about that? And then, then we have a discussion about nutrition. And then the next step is, all right, cool. Well, now let's talk about your stress management and let's talk about all of the things affecting your life on a day in and day out basis and how that's affecting your stress. Yes. Now we're getting deeper. But like it starts with how do you move? 
what's your range of motion? Yeah. What's your squat look like? What are you eating? What's your stress? How are you sleeping? Mm-hmm. And it sort of moves out as the coach gets deeper and deeper into the person's life. And as the person lets the coach in. I mean, right. there's some people that can commit to a coaching program for years before they even get to that next step because they don't feel comfortable you know, for whatever reason. Right. And that's, that's as a coach, it's challenging, but you have to just respect where the person is. It's And it's, it's also great. You know, like I... There's nothing better. I the the thing I like the most about working with people is people who know themselves and their boundaries. Totally. It's like the the athlete who comes up and be like, "Hey, I really need you to kind of yell at me and like motivate me that way because otherwise I'm just not going to do anything." Yeah. Or the athlete who just you know they just want to be left alone. Yes. And that's great. Yep. That's fantastic. Go for it. I'm really happy that that's been communicated to me because I don't want to overcoach that person and make them unhappy. Yeah. Because consistency, compliance, adherence is the most important thing out of everything. And over time, if they're if they're in class, they're going to learn, right? Yeah. If they're at home, they're not going to learn. Nope. And so the only way that I can teach is if you're in class. And so I want you in class. I want you in class. I want you in class. And then. I want to help you as much as you want me to help you. Yeah, right. And that's it. And, you know, if if the barrier is you're not quite confident that I know what I'm talking about in nutrition or stress, great, cool. Just that, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, go see a nutritionist, someone yeah. who you have that confidence in. Right. Or straight up tell me, like, hey, I would like your help, but I don't think you're smart enough. Prove to me that you're smart enough. Boom. And let's just talk about it. And if if you're talking about things that I don't know, I'm going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember my first, my very first day coaching at Old City CrossFit. I was like so ready, through the moon, fresh off my L1. And I came home and I took an entire notebook page and just filled it. And it was, the heading was things I know nothing about. Yeah. And I just, from that first day, just everything from that day that I realized I knew nothing about. And so my homework, and I think it took me about two months to get through that list, was every day I'd pick something from the list and I'd learn as much as I could about it. Yeah. And I'd spend like three or four hours just on each thing until I felt confident enough to go back to that person who originally asked me and be like, yo, here's that answer though. Yeah. And that was something that was so important for me to do as a new coach because I could have just like, you know, BS my way through it and been like, yeah, I could do this. I'll figure it out. But I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be the authority. I wanted to learn. For sure. And yeah. I made that effort. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I get asked questions all the time and I'm like, it's a great question. It's a great question. And through through that process, you know, I've developed a network of people like my mentors that I go to. Absolutely. It's like, yo, Dr. Mike, I got this question. I don't yeah. know anything about this. Yeah. And he's like, ooh. Yeah, we need to talk about that. <laughs> and I think that's another mark of a of a good coach, you know, someone who's willing to continually learn and never accept the present knowledge as the best knowledge. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it may not have happened literally, but I'm pretty sure it would have happened, you know, metaphorically. Like that list of things you don't know never gets shorter. Like Oh no. It it gets more complex. Yeah. It gets deeper, right. but it also gets much, 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 much longer. It's like it's like, I don't know how to teach the back squat. And then maybe three months later, it's like, I don't really know the difference between high bar and low bar. Right. And maybe a few months later, it's like, 
when, you know, I don't know how to fix bilateral hip impingement <laughs> something. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the thing. I just tried to sound, say something that sounded smart. But yeah, and honestly, I think that's that has nothing that's that's not a characteristic of coaching. Human. I think it's yeah, I think yeah, no matter what your profession is, it has to be true. Like you're never done learning, Ever. especially in 2018. I feel like if you're done learning in 2018, you're wrong. You're not going to be employable for very long. No. No. I mean, things change so incredibly alarmingly hilariously fast. Yeah. I mean, even I left D.C. in June of 2016, and there's entire neighborhoods I don't recognize. Right. It's, it's 2018. Can you imagine, like, just going into, like, imagine going to an island for five years and then coming back and seeing just the technology change? Yeah. Like, Think about what? people in prison. Like, people are getting out of jail that were locked up in the 80s and 90s that, like, have never seen an iPhone in real life. Don't even know that the laws have changed, you know, things like that. It's out of control. Yeah. It's a very real problem. That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I spent, how old am I, 35, 18. Yeah, I've almost, I've almost been alive with a cell phone longer than I was alive without a cell phone. Certainly, like my conscious life. Yeah. I've had a cell phone more than I haven't. But there was a huge part of my life. I didn't get a cell phone until I was a sophomore in college, maybe a junior in college. Yeah. So like the idea I remember high school, like, you know, it was my senior year, going to a, a little high school, you know, graduation party type thing, had directions. Yeah. And I went and I couldn't find it. And I, I couldn't find it. Yeah. I went home. Right. And I called. <laughs> and I got clarification. And then I went back. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're older than I am. I'm only 28. But when I first moved to college, like, GPSs weren't a thing. And if they were, they were a million dollars. So right. I didn't have one. And I had, like, a little Samsung flip phone. So I had my MapQuest directions yep. printed out. Yep. And I had a map of yep. the East Coast yep. of America. Yep. And was like, okay. See you in Virginia. Yeah. And I'm my 17-year-old self just drove down with a map and directions. Yeah. And I made it. And I did that for like two years just with a paper map. Yeah. Yeah. I remember driving, like legitimately going from D.C. to Groton, Connecticut. And like I knew how to get to New York. Like you just, what, 95 North? North. (laughs) And so I, I like just assumed that Connecticut was up there. Yeah. And so I just got in my car and I just started driving north. And it wasn't until like halfway through the Pennsylvania Turnpike that I was like, wait a minute. I don't really know exactly where Connecticut is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to finish this journey. <laughs> so I like pulled over to a gas station, bought a map, yeah. looked at the map and was like, oh, cool. Well, I can just stay on 95 and literally I just take an exit. Well, I actually drove from Rochester to your wedding in Michigan. Ooh. And my two options for getting there was going north through southern Ontario or south through Ohio, which just seemed like the wrong answer. So I chose the Ontario one, and I was talking to my grandfather, who's a 1,000 years old, and he went to 
somewhere. I think it was like AAA and got me like a little Flip book. map book. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then he also bought me like a map and of Ontario and he highly, oh, it was awesome. It was so cool. And I needed it because I, there was a confusing little worm thing and I got off And once wrong. you get into Canada, just like in South Park, your, your wheels turn to squares, mm-hmm. your head detaches from your body. It's nuts. Everything was yeah. weird colors. I couldn't handle yeah, it. Don't you, get gas in Canada. No. It's, no, because it's by liter. So you're like, oh, 99 cents a liter, that's a great deal. There's a bunch of liters in a gallon, though. So it was a bad deal. And then, so I'm like inside Ontario, like not close to America by any way. And I realized I need to get gas because I planned the whole thing atrociously. And so I also realized I didn't have uh, like very much money. And I was, and I didn't tell my bank that I was leaving. Oh. And so I wasn't sure if my card was going to work in Canada or if they were going to like right. shut what, it down. What is Canadian currency like? Maples? Did you like pay one like one pint of? <laughs> got, like maple my maple syrup, syrup out. Yeah. <laughs> Some horse feed for the Mounties. That's right. Um, <laughs> There's going to be somebody from Canada who's going to hate us. Sorry, Canada, but also not sorry. Uh, so I go in and I talk to the guy, and I was like, okay, so like here's my deal, and and he's like, well, no worries, we we take your money, and I was like, wait, you would take American money? And he's like, yeah. I was like, we're nowhere near America though. Like I'm at least hour plus on either side. And he's like, oh, doesn't make a difference to us. And I was like, man, Canada. He's like, I don't, so I don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> I don't care about that. It's just your money. <laughs> eh? <laughs> oh man, that makes me so happy. Yeah. I was so impressed with Canada. Deep I also impressed? did not realize that Detroit was like in Canada. It's like right on the border. Yeah. Like you get, you get on a bridge and you're like, okay, bye, Canada. And then you go like 10 feet and it's like, welcome to Detroit. And you're like, wow, okay, cool. Guess I'm here now. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that um, Norfolk basically connected to Delaware through this really long bridge. I also did not know that. Yeah. I'm, that, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, there's, there's like this super long bridge. It's a $32 toll bridge. Wow. Yeah. That's a tank of gas for me. Yeah. That's nuts. It's but crazy. I mean, it takes you to... Yeah, there's like 18 signs. Last exit, (laughs) last exit, last exit. For real, though. Like, get off now. I had a buddy from my boat who lived on that last exit. And before GPS, he was, we were talking and he was telling me, he was like, make sure you get on that exit because it's a $64 mistake. And probably (laughs) a lot of time, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, you know, Maps, man. They give you such perspective. They're great. <laughs> They're so great. It's very important. Well, when I first um, moved to D.C., also 10-plus years ago, I didn't really know how to get around. So I took a little map, and I took packing tape, and I laminated it, and I creased down the folds so it would fit in my purse, and yeah. it wouldn't get wet, and I could always have a map on me. And people mocked me for carrying a map in my purse until we got lost. And then I was the hero, and yeah. no one was mocking me anymore. You couldn't just Jerks. create a mental map of DC, like it's. After like the first summer, where's the capital? I was okay. Okay, I'm good. Yeah, after the first summer, it wasn't so dire. But the first summer, I was like, I just couldn't grasp it. And I'd never been in a big city before. I'd never been on my own before. Yeah, I guess that's true. The first time I was in DC, I was looking for my sister's apartment, and. I like did not get the grids and yeah. I got on a state street which Yes, the state streets just they're garbage, they mean nothing, they mess you up. 
Yep. They make no sense. And so I remember I was talking to my sister, and I was like, I am so lost. And she's like, what street are you on? And I was like, state name. And she was like, get off. <laughs> You're doomed. <laughs> she was like, state streets go diagonal. Yeah. You're gone. You're yeah. in Maryland now. Yeah. See ya. Good luck. <laughs> You're gone, or you are waiting for one of the worst intersections to cross in the history of mankind. Facts. Like, <laughs> it's like a 19-point intersection somehow. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, like, I, I think probably Florida, New York has to be the worst intersection. Oh, top three, if not the worst. I'm trying to think of something that's worse. North Cap, Florida's pretty bad. Florida, Georgia's pretty bad. There's got to be something up in Northwest we've never seen that's terrible. I mean, from going from 8th Street to U Street is... A mistake. For so many reasons. <laughs> it is. You have to cross Sorry, three of the worst intersections. Yeah. you got to go Florida, Florida, New York, Florida, North Cap, Florida, Georgia. Right. And all three of those intersections, it's literally a battle. Yeah. It's harrowing. It's awful. Yeah. I thought you said it's heroin. I was like... It's also heroin. Like, it's a... Let me, let me break that <laughs> analogy down. Let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it no, is so a- addicting. <laughs> so I go through the intersection. I e-brake, U-turn to hit it Just from the other angle. Just go through again. No, for real though. Yeah, I used to make that trip on my bicycle. I think what? it would be less stressful on a bicycle because you could just zoom to the front, wait for your turn to cross, cross, and go. The really large intersections, though, like there's just a lot of variables. Cars are driving fast. But once you get look. it figured out, you know yeah. you know how to do it. That's how I feel about driving into the city from Anywhere. any of them. Yeah, right. if you're in the right lane, like the correct it's lane, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. You, you may be moving a little slow, but you know you'll be okay. Right. But when you see that sign that's all the way over there. And you got to cross like, 18 lanes of traffic. Uh, okay, we're going to die now. Yeah. yeah. But it, until you drive into the city a thousand times. Right. You don't know where you need to be, right? Which is the worst. Because you, yeah, because you got to be in the right lane like fifty-five minutes before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like before you even get on the highway, you yeah. have to be in the correct lane. Right. It's very complicated. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a there's a moral there, you know. Experience. Don't drive in DC. <laughs> <laughs> don't drive a vehicle here. Yeah. Well, you know, experience. It's experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's something to be said for the old wise therapist who's seen people exercise themselves to death <laughs> over and over and over again. I'm sure it's not that common. But even if so even here's here's the interesting thing about this experience, right? So commuting into DC when I was living um, in Virginia, I'd commute in for you know for work or whatever. And uh, you know, my sister would be like, take this exit, do this, do this route. So I had the knowledge. She imparted the knowledge, mm-hmm. but I could I didn't internalize the knowledge until I did it. A million times. And even the first time, like Aaron was like, take this exit, do this, it'll it'll work out. <laughs> even that first time, like I, I drove past that exit like five times. Yeah. Ah, before, there it goes. And then I would like have to like look and be like, is that, where does that road go? Oh, ah, where does that road go? It. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't. How does that connect back with this? Right. And then the first time you do it, it's scary, and you're doing it with the confidence that somebody told you it's okay to do. Totally. And it's still scary. Totally. And you do it, and you, all right, that was good. And you do it again. And you're like, is this going to work again? Like that's too good to be true. I can't believe not everybody in the world knows this. 
And you do it again, you're like, all right. And you do it again, and then eventually it's just like, yep, that's what I do. Yeah, it's like CrossFit. Exactly. Well, it's like anything. <laughs> yeah. Right? You try something, so somebody with confidence says, do this, squat, uh-huh. do this, whatever. This will work. I got you. Yeah. It's still freaking scary. Totally. Doing something that you've never done or that you, you know, never done that way, doing it for the first time is a scary thing. Oh, for sure. And it takes a lot of trust. It does. Well, actually, something that our dear friend Liam um, coached me through back in the day, I was really, I don't know, something was going on. I was really nervous. Maybe it was the open. I don't know. And he was like, the only difference between nerves and excitement is choice. Choose to be excited. Don't be nervous. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll just, like, choose to be excited, bro. Uh, but then as I walked up to whatever it was I was doing, I was like, yeah, be excited. Choose to be excited. You know, and just kind of flipping that intention from, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. It could be bad to, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. It could be bad. Oh, it could be yeah, good. But what's the choice you're making? Because I think that's important. Because I think that's an easy thing to say. To be optimistic. Not be afraid. I think you're nervous because you're afraid of an outcome. You're afraid of a negative outcome. Yeah. You're afraid of an outcome that hasn't been decided. You're excited when the outcome was in your favor. Right? Yeah. Like, when do you get excited? When something good is going to happen. Like you know something good is going to happen. Yeah. And it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And you're excited. Mm-hmm. Or you're excited that something good just happened. Yeah. The outcome is known. When yes. are you nervous? When I'm unsure. The outcome is unknown. Yeah. And the outcome could be good, really good. So your potential is there. But the outcome could also be very bad. Yeah. Because if the outcome was only bad, you wouldn't be nervous. You'd be scared. Yes. Right? So if, if, if outcome predictability is negative, fear. If outcome predictability is positive, excitement. Yeah. If outcome predictability is undecided, Nervous because it could go one of either way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important distinction. Sure. Because while I believe Liam is right in saying it's a choice, yes, you have to peel that onion a little bit to figure out what choice it is that you're making. Because you can't just choose to be excited because that's not necessarily going to work because the, the outcome is still undecided. So you can fake, you can show information your way out of it and you can increase your likelihood of having a positive outcome with a more positive mindset, but you're still nervous because the outcome hasn't been decided. So yeah. I think the choice is, well, there's a lot of different ways to think about this. I'm thinking about all the, this, this theory that I just laid out is happening in real time. Great. And I'm really proud of it. Let's run with it. So <clears throat> if, if you're if you're nervous and you want to you know you want to embrace the excitement then you have to legitimately convince yourself that either outcome that's about to happen is a positive exciting outcome absolutely and that no matter what happens you're ready for it yeah that's okay yeah and then now the outcome is less important and if the outcome is less important then it strips away the fear mm-hmm. of defeat, the fear of rejection, the fear of, you know, whatever it is, because you're 100% okay with whatever happens Yep. because right now is the most important moment. Right. And so if you're okay with failure and if you're okay with success, then the choice to shift from nervous to excitement is the choice to accept failure. Yes. I completely agree. No, I I think that's great. And part of what helps me change my mind from nervous to excited is by accepting that any 
perceived failure is an opportunity to redirect and grow. So then then you get excited yes. about the opportunity to to win. Yeah. Or the ex- like Conor McGregor, he's like he's like I win, I win. I lose, I win. Yeah. Because I learn. Yeah. No, exactly, <laughs> literally. And I think that's such an important mindset especially when athletes get really bogged down with like the numbers, either the numbers of their weights or the numbers on the scale or whatever numbers they're obsessed with. And they just get so fixated on that. They can't see any other number as possibly having a benefit. But when you peel it back and kind of zoom out a little bit, it's like, okay, I'm obsessed with squatting 400 pounds for a legitimate reason. I've decided my why is good, but I'm only at 240. That's disappointing, but now this informs that maybe what I'm doing in the gym isn't enough. Maybe I need to start doing stuff at home too. Maybe right. I need to bring that nutrition up to a higher level. Maybe Protein. I need to, yeah, maybe I need to talk to someone about my stress management or something like that. Yeah. You know, making sure that you are doing everything you can and taking those failures as an opportunity to reassess and possibly redirect if needed. Right. And if you redirect and you or you assess everything and you decide, no, I want to keep doing exactly what I'm doing and not redirect, then okay, commit to that. And if you get the same result in whatever amount of time, be honest with yourself that, okay, now really, I, I tried to stay on course, but this isn't the right course. Yeah. Now I need to redirect for real. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of life in a way. It's stepping, Constant. reassessing, stepping in a better direction. Always. You know, like, man, it's it's like... In, in CrossFit, I, it's kind of a joke, but I think it's kind of true too. I mean, I'm not talking about the like falling out of a tree type injuries. You know, I tore my ACL skiing. Okay, well, that didn't happen over time. But, you know, if you start having a nagging shoulder pain, you know, eventually that nagging shoulder pain, it has the potential of turning into a torn shoulder pain. Yeah. You know, a torn rotator cuff, something like that. Or elbow pain is eventually going to lead into some sort of you know, bicep something, yep. some tendonitis something, mm-hmm. it's going to turn into an injury. And so the nagging pain is a good thing. Yes. Right? Like it is a very good thing. Like you do CrossFit so that you get those pains. Yes. Because those pains, maybe that's not the only reason, but those pains legitimately tell you where to focus your yeah. attention and where your body's starting to break down. Totally. It's your body's early warning system. And it gives you insight into where you're where you're creating dysfunctional patterns. Mm-hmm. So your knee hurts. Good. I didn't see your lack of hip range of motion in your squat because it looks pretty good. But upon further assessment, it doesn't look so good. Yeah. So let's work on your hip and let's work on your calf pretty aggressively. And that should clean up the knee pain over time. Without that early warning system, then we would just go straight to tendonitis or worse, you know, torn, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think life is very much the same and failure is the, the nagging pains and failure gives us the opportunity to course correct or like, wow, humility check or ego check or wow, I was starting to get really confident and that confidence was undeserved. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. And it just puts you back in, back into your place. And I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons why it's really important to constantly struggle, constantly do challenging things, constantly learn, constantly push yourself. Because only through that course of making yourself continuously uncomfortable are you able to make more corrections for your life. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm unhappy with where I'm at in in my life, 
what whatever that unhappiness is. Maybe right. you know, maybe I'm overweight. Maybe I'm you know, eat like garbage. Maybe I'm single and want to be married. Maybe I'm married and want to be happier. Married, I'm married and want to be single. No, <laughs> married and want to be happier in my marriage. Yes. <laughs> um, you're not. You're, you're probably not going to get there by doing nothing. Like probably un- unless you have a broken leg, nothing is not the answer to solving the problem. Right. Typically, again, not clinical psychologists, just people. Who've lived lives, <laughs> and I think this is true for almost anybody. You know, like you have to, you have to do something. Okay, so my my relationship with my friend isn't as good as I want it to be. Okay, well, let's talk about why that's not good. Mm-hmm. Maybe that conversation will lead down a very very bad path. Maybe that conversation will go very bad. Okay, well now we've found the area that needs to be improved. Right, and if I care about this person. I will work very hard to improve that part. Right. Maybe, you know, maybe I was very selfish in, you know, in working with that person. And, you know, I need to apologize for my greed or my, you know, my sin upon them. You know, I need to look at that and be, wow, I really, I really let you down in this scenario. You know, I told you I was going to pick you up from the airport and I didn't. And that caused you to, you know, whatever, miss the family reunion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be a bummer. That'd be a bummer. And I could understand why someone would carry resentment for that. That never, I don't know where that came from, by the way. That's, That's never happened. <laughs> I will always take you to your family reunion. <laughs> always. That's right. Call Sean. He'll pick you up from the airport no matter what. Well. <laughs> we'll take that one. There was a, a How I Met Your Mother, they were talking about, um, like things you don't ask other adults to do, and it's like pick you up from the airport, help you move, mm-hmm. something else. I don't know. I disagree with that, but I could also see it. I don't want to entrap people into like picking me up from the airport. Like, sure. Yo, Jen, what are you doing Saturday night? Right. Oh, snap. I got nothing going on. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. BWI. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Shit. Oh, man, Dang. why did I say I had nothing going on? Right. I should have vetted that a little better. <laughs> They're like, I don't know. What are you saying? Like, that's entrapment. Oh, that's yeah, not for sure. Fair. No, that's not good but, in any relationship. Hey, Jen, Saturday night, I'm flying into BWI. I don't have a ride home. You can say no. Yeah. I'm totally fine if you say no. But it'd be pretty sweet if you said yes. <laughs> right? Like, okay, cool. Now you're telling me up front. And even though I could have no plans, you're giving me an out. And I think yeah. that's I think that's cool. I think that's being a good friend. Yes, absolutely. So anyway, if you've asked me for a ride to the airport and I've said yes, I didn't say yes begrudgingly <laughs> because I really wanted to take you to the airport. Because I, I know it's important. <laughs> yeah, how, do and get, how do we get there? Failure? Podcast life? Yeah. Anyway, like, like one of the themes that I've really been exploring, and I think I've gotten some clarity on it, is... Like, why do challenging things? You know, I talked to Jen Jacobs and it was 100 mile races. Like, why do challenging things? I don't know why. But it's like, I think this concept of, you know, challenging things introduce you to failure more often than unchallenging things. Oh, for sure. And by being introduced to failure, you also get introduced to self-improvement faster. Yeah. So why did I fail? I mean, you can look at it quite literally in the gym. Why did I fail? Or why did I lose that workout? Or what did I do that I didn't respect about myself in that workout? Well, there was 20 seconds left. I had five reps left, but I just made that last rep. You know, I did one rep that took a lot longer than necessary. I could have done five, but I only did one because I'm weak minded and I let the fear of pain override my performance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Noted. 
Yeah. No. And that's fine. Right. No judgment. No way. It's just I was disappointed in myself when the workout ended. Why was I disappointed? I found out why I was disappointed, and now I made note of it. Okay. Next time that happens, 20 seconds left. I remember. Yeah, I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel that way. I'm going to push through to the end. Totally. So maybe I don't push the whole 20 seconds. Maybe it's just I go a little deeper. Maybe I do two reps instead of five. Maybe I do three reps instead of five. Hey. Maybe I give up with 10 seconds left instead of five seconds left. Maybe I still feel disappointed, but I note, wow, I did better. Mm-hmm. I did better. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that same concept is true in life and in, you know, relationships or in, you know, your, your work, like anything that you do, it's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't like coming home watching TV every night for five hours. Right. All right. So why don't I come home and cook dinner and listen to a podcast or cook dinner and listen to music and keep the TV off? Or I hate that I check my email right before I go to bed. Okay, well, let me put my phone outside. And just starting to notice what it is that you want to improve. Yeah, just bring awareness to it. And then where you slip on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's... Like, what I've noticed is when I watch TV with my phone next to me, I end up just playing on my phone yes. with the TV on. Same. Because a commercial will happen. Yep. And God help me. God help me if I sit unentertained for, <laughs> for 40 seconds. seconds. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst. And it's gotten so bad that like in the middle of football plays. Yeah. It's like I ain't got time for the huddle. Right. I've got blocks to stack with similar numbers. <laughs> My dopamine is receding. I need to boost it. But yeah, what I found stressful. is I move my phone literally just away from my hands. I yeah, plug it out in. of reach. Yeah. And it has to be far enough out of reach where I can't like extend reach. Mm-hmm. But it has to be out of reach. And then I find the first few times I go for it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's not nearby. And then eventually I don't reach. I don't think to reach. And then eventually I'm sitting, you know, wanting to buy a Ford truck. <laughs> Because I was because I'm watching all these dope ads by the commercial. Yeah, that's yeah, but it's it starts with it starts with noticing that it takes humility to admit that you're doing things wrong, though. Yeah, like even acknowledging it to yourself, like even having that conversation with yourself, like oh, I think I'm on my phone too much. Maybe I should put it farther away. That. That can be really, really challenging for people because if they allow themselves to admit that they're on their phone too much, would they allow themselves to admit that they're not present in their relationships? Would they allow themselves to admit they're not trying as hard as they could at work, that maybe they have substance issues? Like It it starts this snowball that people are not ready for sometimes. What, uh, What are you trying to fix? In my life? Yeah. Like, what are you, like, what are you, what are you working on? You know, you, you mentioned forgiveness and persistence. What, or patience. Patience. Yeah. What patience is kind of persistence. Yeah, I was like, that's the same line. Same word. Same thinking. Somewhere out there, Matt Martz is putting his hand on his head going, it's not not the the same same word. word. (laughs) Sorry, Matt. Yeah. What are you, Um, uh, like, what's, like, what's your, you know. Consistency. Uh, is is the big thing. So when I first uh, started 
behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, a lot of it was, I mean, probably the first four months was just awareness, like just becoming aware of these tendencies and habits in my life. Starting to notice. Yeah, that weren't great. And just starting to notice the qualities of the people around myself and, and the qualities of myself that I saw in other people and all that stuff. And after we got through the awareness chunk, it was about learning how to make better decisions that at that time in my life were completely against my nature. Yeah. Because I had surrounded myself in this, you know, happy little bubble of comfortability slash right. dysfunction and I didn't know how to break out of it. I didn't know how to make better choices. I didn't know how to be good. Right. Or honest or any of that. Yep. And it was terrifying and really, really hard. So now at this point in my development, in my recovery, I have a lot better understanding of what that means. Of what good decisions mean. Yes. Of what it looks like to have healthy relationships, of what it feels like to be in an honest conversation. I, yeah. I'm more comfortable with that, right. but I'm not as consistent as I would like to be. Yeah. So... Yeah, so there's relapses into negative For sure. tendencies. All the time. Right. I relapse all the time. Is there a specific I'm I'm not trying to like dig and like psychoanalyze Jim Power. Let's do but it. I'm I'm just trying to get like, you know, and and I'll discuss me next. <laughs> but it's you know, I'm just I'm just curious what you know, like what that what that looks like. So, you know, the consistency are there are there specific relapses that, that you tend to do, you know, surrounding specific things, or is it just you notice after it's done and you haven't quite figured out if there's like a specific area that, that tends to be more difficult for you than other areas? Yeah, I, I kinda notice it either after or inside of it, like, oh this is bad. This is not the choice I meant to make. Or this is not the choice I could have made. I could have Shoot. been better here. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of times you don't really see the cost of your actions until some time has passed. For sure. So sometimes it's days, weeks, or months later before I'm like, oh, that was not good. Yeah, that hindsight is uh, is stupid. Hindsight doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I hate hindsight. But the difference is being able to look back at the hindsight and say, okay, I messed up here. I could have been better here. But this was great versus, oh, I'm terrible and I'm bad and I did this bad thing and this is just what I'm and like. And nothing is great. Yeah. And I'm bad right. and that's just how it is. Right. And so being able to forgive myself and, well, first of all, be honest with what actually really truly happened. Yeah. And then forgive myself if necessary. Not always, but sometimes it's necessary to right. say, okay, this is not a good thing, but I've done it. I can't change it. I can't undo it. All I can do is make a commitment to do something different the next time I'm in that situation, right. if I ever am. And there's a lot of times that I haven't been able to like redeem myself, per se, about a decision I've made because that situation was really unique and really specific, and I'm probably not going to be in that situation again. But yeah, and redemption isn't necessarily doing it correctly right. again. I think redemption is truly wishing you did it better when it happened. Yeah, and also not like, lamenting over it. Like yeah. not letting it replay over and over and waking up in the middle of the night thinking about all the lies I've told. Like I don't do that anymore, which right. is much better for my yeah. overall 
person. Yeah, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, one of them is uh, tell the truth. Yeah. Or at least don't lie. Yo. <laughs> then that, and that was the biggest thing for me because when I, was it going to say I was like I was a liar and untruthful, is I wasn't telling blatant lies. Like, you'd ask me a question, I would not lie to your face. I would not lie. Right. I would say everything true, but just not necessarily the whole meat and right. potatoes. But after, you know, after articulating ten truths, you can look at that as being one big lie. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was something that, um, in therapy, we talked about. Because, you know, asking me, like, how honest and truthful I am. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't lie. Because I really honestly believed right. that I did not lie. Because I worked really hard on not lying. Like, you can't play the player here. Like, I wrote the book. And we were discussing this and we were talking about just being honest and, and being authentic and mm. what that means. And it's like, well, if you're purposefully omitting entire pieces of Stories. things, yeah. is that true? Is that authentic? Is that honestly are you able to really connect with a person? And then, like, keeping track of all that over time, you know? Like, what did I tell this person? What did I tell this person? How deep did I go in with this person? And does that, are they talking to each other? Like, are my stories going to match up? And right. just became very stressful over time. So I've really committed to just being super blunt, very honest, super truthful. And uh, it's so freeing. The truth yeah. will set you free. Yeah. For real. And I kind of like balked at that statement for a while, like, yeah, okay, whatever. But no, it's real. Just yeah. be honest. Have you, have you, um, I would imagine that the therapist is good at dropping hard truths on oh, you. Oh, you're. <laughs> so, is, has the, as like being told hard truths set you free in some capacity? It does eventually. <laughs> Just not in the moment. No. A hard truth is... I mean, hard things are hard. Yeah. That's another one of my Sean formations. Hard yeah. things are hard. Yeah. And when I feel discouraged by something that is hard, but it is a legitimately hard thing, I just remind myself to redirect that right. discouragement because hard things are hard. Right. You can't spell hard without hard. Right. Cold <laughs> things are cold. Like, it's just how it is, right. you know? So being able to embrace the suck... Yeah. And be optimistic that whatever the outcome is, I will find a way to make it positive or someone will help me find a way to make it positive or there will be a positive outcome regardless is or a the, more motivating. Or the negative outcome is for whatever reason the positive. Yeah. Like that's – I was talking with Katie about this and this, this concept, you know, because we were talking a lot about meditation and the importance of meditation and, you know, all these things. And it's about, you know, being okay with whatever the moment is, mm -hmm. right? So I thought it was about being happy with whatever the moment is. Uh, and so I thought it was like, oh, it's raining. Yippee. Yeah. And then I wondered <laughs> why, why Juliana thought I was so annoying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because I was like forcing myself to enjoy the rain. Yeah. When the reality of being present or my understanding of, you know, my reality of being present. Good presently <laughs> is oh it's raining <laughs> yeah I'm, that is yeah it's it's raining it's yeah. it doesn't ruin my day and it's not a good thing that it's raining it's just water from the sky mm -hmm. is falling and now that's a reality yeah. and that's that's okay mm -hmm. oh it's raining neutral yeah for sure if you noted a hint of excitement in my voice, that was wrong. Right. <laughs> and if you noticed that this ruined my day, that's also wrong. You know, because it's just, it's 
just rain. Yeah, we we got some advice um, from a nice old man who's been married a long time, and he um, asked very nicely if he could give us some marriage advice. And we were like, absolutely, because we're getting married soon, so caveat. And he said, feelings are neither good nor bad. They are. And when your partner has a feeling, accept it. Yeah. Don't accept it as a good thing or a bad thing. Just let your partner feel and, just, and be aware. It just exists. Yeah, that you guys are gonna feel stuff. Yeah, um, that's what it is. There's this guy I haven't fully um, studied him, but I forget his name. But his his philosophy is nonviolent communication. Yeah, and it's probably a bad description of what it is, but it's a way of communicating. Because feelings are a result of unmet needs or met feelings are a result of needs being met or unmet, right? Like I feel happy and joy when my needs are being met and I feel fear, I feel anger, I feel resentment when needs aren't being met, right? Like I have a need to be respected and if someone disrespects me, I feel angry Mm -hmm. perhaps, right? Like so anger is the feeling but the problem isn't anger. Yeah. The problem is respect. Right. And so I need to address the problem. Totally. Hey, person, human, why did you feel the need or why did you disrespect me in this situation? That was disrespectful. Right. I, did not, I didn't mean to do that. Totally. Oh, okay. Word. Or because you're you're adult. <laughs> you are a legitimate idiot. Yeah. And I meant all the disrespect and in the world. I don't feel the need to respect you. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, okay, great. Well, then now now we know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And if I thought that I was, you know, in a position worthy of respect and you disrespected me and then you convinced me that I did something foolish and, you know, whatever. You know, maybe respect is a bad example because I think you should probably always respect people. That'd be nice. Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm sure there's scenarios like, would you respect Jeffrey Dahmer? Like, uh, I, I don't. That's too deep for for the purposes of this conversation. Um, the answer is probably no. <laughs> He's a bad guy, obviously. Um, anyway, what were we talking about? You unmet, bring up a serial killer. And yeah, everything <laughs> goes out the window. Yeah. So yeah, feelings and needs. And so, what I've been trying to do in my life is figuring out when I have a feeling to associate that to a need. Yeah. And then just figure out if that need that I'm missing, right. if it's a negative emotion, if that need, if I isolate it to a need, is that a rational thing or is that an irrational thing? Right. Is this need something that, you know, has to be filled by somebody else? Ooh, ah. so maybe I'm putting, you know, maybe my anger is because... I need to be respected and I don't respect myself. Bingo. And, you know, whatever. You're just the, the casualty of my, you know, self-introspection. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, part, part of the awareness part of my first part of therapy was figuring out what those needs are and who is truly responsible for meeting that need. Mm. And I was putting a lot of responsibility on other people to meet needs that I was responsible for. And I was constantly disappointed because people cannot provide what 
I am responsible and you for. They probably never will. didn't even know nope. what you wanted. Uh-uh. And that's yeah. So two things with that. One, um, the idea is that I cannot make you feel anything. Nope. You choose your feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can disrespect you, I can do whatever, I can, you know, I can I can be rude to you. Like I, I am responsible for my interaction with you for sure, but you are responsible for how you interpret that interaction. Totally. That's important. Yeah. The other important thing has slipped my mind. So we're just going to have to rewind. The one important thing is, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't make you feel, I can't make you feel something. That that was something that I, I struggled with because in that sense that other people can't make you feel things, you can't make other people feel things. Right. And I had a really hard time accepting both of those as reality. Like, I was totally cool with the idea that people, that I can't make people feel things. Like, yeah, that makes sense. I can acknowledge that. Like, I can rationally admit that. But then you flip it and say, okay, well, that means other people can't make you feel things. And it's like, well, hold on. Time out. Hold up. Like, what do you mean? Then where do I get happiness from? Bingo. Yeah, so that was, like, bridging those ideas was another whole process of understanding and being able to really truly embody that and believe it Mm. and really believe it, which came after the understanding. Yeah, I mean, it's it takes it takes a, a long time to figure that out, you sure. know. And some people never figure it out. And I don't even think figuring it out has an end either, no. you know, because if you've made like if you've if you've walked one step towards that understanding, that doesn't mean you're finished. No, that means okay. Well, there's probably a deeper complexity to this, you yeah. know, these feelings, this this situation, right? And you need to explore that. But you're in a better, you're more aware, you're more conscious. Totally. And I think that's, I think that's a, a noble pursuit, right? If we yeah. go back to the reason for humanity is to reason, all right, well, you're reasoning now. Yeah, and with I think yourself. The, the more you reason, the more conscious you become, mm-hmm. and the more conscious you are, then the more you can make deliberate actions towards improving your life, and the less you'll take undeliberate action towards life destruction. That's probably a good place to be. More steps in the more steps, more steps up the ladder, less steps down the ladder. Yeah. Right? Always. Eventually you're gonna go way up. Hopefully. I mean, that's, that's the idea. The plan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we going up. <laughs> that's what I'm always trying to do. Start up from the bottom, now I'm here. Yep. Back here. Back back here. <laughs> back here. Yeah. This has been great. This has been awesome. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Quite enjoyable. Sometimes I wonder, you know, like I need to get feedback from people who who make it this deep in the podcast. Sometimes I wonder if like these deep life pontifications are just super shallow and stupid or if they're actually like meaningful and thoughtful. I think anytime you have two people honestly discussing the truth, it is meaningful and thoughtful. I I tend to agree. But I wonder, you know, (laughs) I legitimately wonder if I'm like trying to be too thoughtful. You know what I'm saying? Oh, maybe. You know, like when you, like you were an actor, like if, like I took a creative writing course and I tried to write dialogue. Oh, interesting. I thought 
because I can talk to people. Yeah, that you can write dialogue. But writing dialogue yeah. is going to be so easy. And I wrote some of the stupidest dialogue <laughs> ever written in mankind. So sometimes when you try too hard to like be thoughtful or to like figure things out, yeah. it just it's dumb. Yeah, it's really dumb. Fair. So. Anyway, if you got to this and you're like, these jokers. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, give me feedback and we can practice what we preach and we can take that failure of our, <laughs> of our talking and then, you know, bring it back in the box and talk about our squats and deadlifts, which is probably where we belong anyway. But hopefully, oh, hopefully you enjoy this. About. Yeah, I hope but you all enjoy it. hope you learned I, something. I really do agree with that idea that um, like two humans trying to sort something out is legitimate. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Jim Power. Peace out, y'all. Peace.